Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, our text this morning is from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, which we looked at last week. And we have a progression that has set in as Jesus is teaching at Galilee. First off, he's teaching the people, and all these people, 5,000 came, and, they, and then, then plus the women and the children. And um, Jesus fed them all with the loaves and fish that a little boy brought forward in, in his lunch. And then Jesus moved to another location. All those people follow. And Jesus, in essence, scolded them. You're following just because you ate the bread. They want more. They want a handout. They want free food. And so Jesus said, I am the bread of life. You partake of me. And those who remember the wedding at Cana think about the wine. And he said, I am the wine. You must eat the bread that is me. You must drink the wine that is my blood. And at that point, the people, since they weren't going to get a free handout, just considered Jesus to be irrelevant, and they started to leave. And his words were tough. Hear the word of God as it comes to us from the Gospel of John. Many of the disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. He knew who would betray him. Then he said, this is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of the disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Jesus said, I chose the twelve of you. But one is a devil. He was speaking of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, one of the twelve who would later betray him. And may God add his understanding to this hearing of his word. So Jesus hasn't even been at his ministry that long, and all of a sudden the crowd is shrinking. Because when they heard about the wine at Cana, and then the healing, and then the bread, and and they kept coming, larger and larger crowds, they wanted that stuff. 
But in essence, Jesus said, I am not your baker. I am not your vintner. I am not your health care. If you want real bread, if you want real drink, if you want real wholeness, real health, then believe in me. Draw upon me. Well, that sounds all so religious. That sounds so spiritual that they started to leave. And even those close to him began to leave. And the disciples themselves, the twelve, started to say, this is, this is hard. I don't think I have any idea what Jesus you're talking about. So he turns to them and says, are you going to leave too? Why, because this is somewhat offensive to you or you just don't get it? And so Jesus holds to his identity, which in and of itself can be offensive. The identity, the person of Christ. Who can understand the offense that is declared when we say that God took on human flesh and dwelt among us, that Jesus was God in our midst. I got a wonderful text this week from Jack Timon about the size of the universe. And, uh, you know, it's billions of stuff, trillions of stuff, hundreds of trillions of things, you know, I mean, stars and planets and all of this, the vastness of the universe... And when we think about it, we cannot even comprehend our physical universe. When they throw those numbers at us, our mind cannot wrap itself around just that which is physical. And so when we talk about that which is spiritual, when we talk about the realities of God and who God is, and God taking on human flesh, if we can't even understand the physical stuff, not even the starting point, then how are we going to begin to understand the realities of spirit? A year ago at the Imagine Solutions Conference, I had the occasion to sit at lunch with a man who's one of the leading experts in pardon me, artificial intelligence. And one of our people, uh, Dick Bodman, is really conversant with all of this stuff. And he, he has this question that always boggles their minds. And I thought I would use that same question to see if I would boggle his mind. And I said, in all of this artificial intelligence, what about spirit? Can we give artificial intelligence spirit? Or will artificial intelligence be able to conjure spirit? And just like Dick Bodman has had the answers that he's had, I had the answer I had, and that was, well, that's a really good question. (laughs) When Jesus talks about himself as bread, when when he talks about his own blood as wine, when he talks about healing as, as real wholeness, 
We want something we can understand. But he gives us that which, to which we would aspire to understand. So, of course, he says he speaks to us in parables so we can begin to wrap our minds around it. But the reality is we can't and we don't. The reality is that in the final analysis, we have to, we have to trust God. And in doing so, the reality of who God is and what, the way our Lord has revealed himself <laughs> is an offense. It's an offense. It isn't practical or it doesn't make sense to people. And when we, when we really live this stuff, when we are truly, this is one of those abused words, fundamental, when we're truly fundamental and we are living the life that was exemplified by Christ himself, well, we look irrelevant because we're turning other cheeks. Loving enemies. We're, we're doing all kinds of things that don't make sense. We begin to look a little weird. And so, because the Christian church has been a stumbling block to Jews, as Paul says, and, a, and foolishness to Greeks for 2,000 years. The reality of the church, the reality of this faith, the reality of the person of Christ, in some manner is going to be somewhat offensive. I got a kick out. That's why I showed this little video of Bono. You know, he's the lead singer of U2, this rock band. We typically don't think of, of rock band people as, as um, such clear-thinking Christians. And I'm sure that for someone like Bono, that, that he doesn't fit into the culture of the rock and roll world all that well. Because his faith can be offensive. But clearly, he doesn't care. We always use that language. Well, I didn't want to offend anyone. And we, we see that whole attitude coming to seed in our culture, where um, colleges have set aside, quote, safe places because people want to go there because somebody might be coming on campus with whom they disagree. <laughs> they need a safe place. Let me simply say, I will call this a safe place, but for a very different reason. Sanctuary. Because this is a place where we can endure those realities, those truths that may cause offense to our hearts and lives because they constitute something that, that moves us to change. That's transforming us. That tells us our status quo is not all there is. And that maybe we've gone the last 30 years down the wrong path. This is a safe place to acknowledge that, to realize that, and, and to find someone somewhere along the way with whom we can talk. 
And the safety is not a safety from offense, but a safety because of offense. Because of the reality of who Jesus is and because of his love, which never lets us go and, and bores into the reality of who we are. Does that, that spiritual surgery that is necessary for all of us. So if we acknowledge, if we accept that this faith can be a little bit offensive sometimes, then we just need to learn to smile a lot and just learn to accept others in their intolerance, accept others in their rejection. And, and keep smiling. We don't argue. We take our hits. And we love. Nobody's ever been argued into the kingdom of heaven. But they get loved in. And that's what we do. So I, as a kid, I, I got involved with, with Young Life, which is a wonderful ministry, a youth ministry at the high school level. And I had a, a, a quickening, awakening of my faith from when I was growing up in a Christian home and not understanding it, not getting it, and, and had an awareness of my faith emerging. And I became so very enthusiastic about it. <laughs> I was probably pretty offensive to my friends. So after football games, I was out. My, I was one of the first to drive, so I went out in my dad's 1968 Bonneville wagon, which was about from here to the, to the window <laughs> on the back. And I loaded it up with, with guys after going to the pizza place after the football games. We'd drive up over the hills of Riverside, and I would stop the car. We'd get out and look at the beautiful, beautiful city of, and looking over Southern California. And I would take that as an opportunity Tell my friends about the love of Jesus. I think back about it, I can hardly believe I did that. But I did. And I brought something that's a bit of an icon of my time in high school. I carried this around with me. It doesn't look like a Bible, that's why I carried it. I wanted to try to slip under the radar so that I could, at the same time, carry a Bible with me and at the same time have, have, a, have a sense of identification with my friends who, who had no acceptance of this. And I remember a few people every now and then would ask, well, what is that? And I'd carry it, carry it face down, even though it's got the Cairo thing on it. I, it's, a, it's a cookbook. <laughs> Not wanting to offend... Because somehow I knew, even as a kid, that there is a core offensive reality about the good news. Because the way Jesus loves us, he loves us so much that he doesn't leave us the same. He loves us so much, he loves us to a place where we are transformed. So Jesus... 
isn't safe. We come to a safe place because our Lord isn't safe. I love the, the treatment of this reality by C.S. Lewis in, in the first of the Chronicles of Narnia. It's the children talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And they ask some questions, ask some questions of, of them both. And Peter, one of the boys, asked the question, well, talking about Aslan, the lion, who is the representation of Christ. Well, is he, is he quite safe? Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mr. Beaver, Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Our Lord isn't safe. When Aslan comes, he takes the boy in his mouth, throws him into the water in an act of baptism. And, and all the skin comes peeling off. And Peter says it hurts like bilio to go through that transforming change. And so it does. So we need to be safe with one another because our Lord is not safe with us. As he does his transforming work in us, with us, and through us. That we might know the joys of true food. The manna from heaven which he associates to himself. The heavenly wine. And the healing that comes from his touch that brings about real wholeness and joy. Will you bow with me in prayer? And so, Lord, once we get beyond your toughness, we know fully your tenderness. Once we get on the far side of the confrontation that occurs because of your holiness, we're embraced by your compassion. And once we get beyond ourselves, we know we can live in a new way. Thank you, O Lord, that yes, it's been somewhat offensive, but you make us new. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.